So every once in a while, you know, you have these, uh, these uh, moments, maybe you've experienced this, maybe you haven't, but moments of brilliance, right? <laughs> it happens very seldom for me. And, and I don't know you know that this moment is a brilliant one either, but uh, I... Uh, was been, I've been thinking about Advent for some time, trying to figure out, okay, you know, what are we going to do with Advent? You know, Advent's one of those things, right? It's just, you know, it's, it comes every year, right? And as a pastor, right, sometimes that's a challenge when it comes every year because, you know, the themes are the same, and so it's like you're going to preach the same message every year, and I mean, I mean, you probably could do that. I mean, you could preach the same message every year because people need to remind it, and as a matter of fact, most people don't even listen to your message anyway, so it's like, you know, that it would be first, all new to them again. But Anyway, so what do you do with Advent, right? And so it's always kind of those, that tension point. It's okay, okay, how am I, what's the new take I'm going to have on this or a different way to kind of come at it this year? And uh, kind of out of the blue, I just had this kind of revelation. Again, not mine. It must be from God, but I, it, it, we'll see. I don't know. I mean, no, let's not, let's not blame God yet, right? Maybe let's get down the road, and if it looks good at the end, then maybe that's it. But uh, anyway, so I, kind of melding together kind of three different themes, if you will, into one. Three different kind of topics or subject matters into one is what we're going to do this year for Advent. Uh, and so by way of introduction, let me l- let you know what those three different kind of uh, topics or areas that we're going to bring all together. The first one is uh, what we call the fourfold gospel. Now, uh, you may not know this if you're new, or maybe you've been here for a long time and you don't know this, but uh, this church, Trinity Alliance Church, is an alliance church. It's a de- part of the denomination that has the longest denominational name, I think, ever. Uh, it's called Christian and Missionary Alliance. That's the full name. They're kind of abbreviated down to alliance nowadays, right? You know, kind of that's the one word they're focusing on. But Christian and Missionary Alliance, this is who we are. We're an alliance church. We're part of that denomination. And that denomination actually in essence, began a little over a hundred years ago by a guy named A.B. Simpson. Simpson should sound familiar because we have a school that's a mile uh, west of us called Simpson University. It is a Christian and Missionary Alliance school, and it is grabbed onto the Alliance founder's name and made it a part, uh, made it their name as a school. So we are founded by a guy named A.B. Simpson. And A.B. Simpson is most known for his heart for missions. He was a pastor in New York, had actually a very large church in New York, started to witness to people on the street, and then bring them to church with him on Sunday mornings. The elders of the church were like, hey, we don't want those homeless people interacting with us, you know, upperclassmen folks. So they can't come in to church on Sunday. Simpson basically said, well, if that's the case, I'm out. So he quit the church and basically began his own ministry to share the love of Christ with people who don't know him. Over time, he began to develop what's called the Missionary Alliance and where he began to actually try to get churches to partner with him of all denominations. And all of these different denominations, Methodist and Lutheran and Baptist and all the different, a whole bunch of different uh, denominational churches started to partner with A.B. Simpson for the purpose of sending missionaries around the world. 
And it started mainly as, part, well, partly as a fundraising kind of group, but also as a sending group, where they actually were, you know, recruiting missionaries in order to send them. And so this, over time, continued to grow and grow and grow and became a national uh, kind of conglomerate or alliance of churches. And it wasn't until the 60s, 1960s, that the alliance finally became an actual denomination. So not only is uh, this denomination uh, relatively new in the, time, in the span of time of just 100 years from the 120 or so years since the founder to now, but even as a denomination, it's one of the brand newest alliance in, or a denomination, Christian denominations in the world. One of the amazing things about the alliance, though, is it continues to be the, uh, 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 have a focus on uh, missions as the most important part of what we do. Uh, The Great Commission Fund is the way that we fund missionaries, and it is a bit revolutionary, and very few other organizations, mission-sending organizations in the world, use this kind of thing. Most missionaries, when they come home on furlough for a year, they go in the mission field for four years, they come back for a year, and they have to spend that whole year going to churches trying to get people to support them financially so that they can go back on the mission field. In the alliance, we have the GCF, which means that we support All of our missionaries as churches, when we give to the GCF, that means that's helping to support those missionaries. So when they come home, they don't have to earn their support. So bottom line, we we are an alliance of churches that have at our heart missions. The proof of that is that we have uh, more members and more churches, alliance churches around the globe than we do in America. There's more outside America than inside America. One of the pieces uh, that A.B. That Simpson created at the beginning was a, pers- a perspective on Jesus. And this perspective was basically, as he described it, a summary of the blessings which Christ has offered to everyone. And if you will, characteristics of who Jesus is, some of the roles that Jesus plays in our life. And we describe those characteristics in the Alliance as the fourfold gospel. The four characteristics are Christ, our Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King. These are the four distinct perspectives of Jesus that the Alliance has. Not that no one else has them, but we have set these aside as key characteristics that we center and focus on. And so we are going to take those, that fourfold gospel and we're going to incorporate it into our Advent messages. However, I'm going to reverse the order, starting with Christ our coming King, and then Healer, and then Sanctifier, and then Savior. I'm sure A.B. Simpson is turning over his grave by me turning over that fourfold gospel order. So that's number one. Second aspect, uh, at the beginning of this year, we... In January, we cast a new vision statement for our church here at Trinity Alliance. That vision, if you will remember the slogan, and maybe you're beginning to uh, remember this on your, own, on your own, but our slogan or our top line of our vision statement is that we are a church that is fully enjoying our relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the focus. And, and part of the, the uh, the aspect of this mission, vision statement, if you will, is to point out the reality that first and foremost, our responsibility, the reason that we were created, the purpose that every one of us has is here, 
is to be in intimate relationship with Jesus. That is the goal. So often churches in our world today, uh, uh, they create these vision and mission statements that are all focused on what we're going to do. And although that is a lot of benefit and it's important to know what we're going to do, oftentimes the mission ends up becoming more important than Jesus. And so we begin to do a whole lot of stuff for Jesus without actually knowing Jesus. And so when we began this process of putting together a vision statement for our church, I had a real, a real strong conviction that what I wanted us to do first and foremost is to make sure that we were focusing on a relationship with Jesus. That that was the primary thing. And it is my conviction that if individuals in the church and entire churches do this one thing, if we zero in and focus just on Jesus, that the mission will take care of itself. Because the mission comes out of our relationship with Jesus. It's not separate from our relationship with Jesus. We will do his will when we are focused on Jesus. Another important aspect of this uh, vision statement, fully enjoying our relationship with Jesus Christ, it is not striving for that relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about trying to achieve a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is about enjoying this relationship that we already have. My point here and the, and the point of this vision statement is to say very clearly that at the moment of salvation, the moment we bow our knee to Jesus as Lord, our relationship with God and with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit becomes perfect in a moment. We do not have to strive to get nearer Jesus. We don't have to strive to have more of his spirit. We already have it all. We already are totally intimate one with Jesus. What we are lacking is the enjoyment of those realities, the experience of those realities, and that is what we strive for. So our vision statement is not about achieving a relationship with Jesus. It's about enjoying that relationship with Jesus. Finally, in regards to this uh, vision statement, uh, we have refrained from creating what many churches do, a discipleship path or a, a, a discipleship program, if you will, where you, you enter at uh, level one and then you move to you know, class 102 and then to 103 and then eventually you get to the 200 level classes and you continue to grow your relationship with God in a very linear kind of step-by-step -step process where the person at the beginning knows, okay, I'm at the beginning. And the person who's at the end knows, hey, I'm at the end. And oftentimes what comes with this is, again, this, this tension that the person over in 101 class is far from Jesus. The person in the four 400 level classes is near Jesus. And so we have refrained from creating a linear discipleship program in our church. Instead, we have gone back again to this slogan, fully enjoying our relationship with Jesus Christ, which means that each of us do have a discipleship path to walk, but it is unique for each and every one of us. And the only way for us to discover what that unique path is, is by going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? Learning to discern the voice of Jesus. Learning to be able to hear and recognize when he is speaking and what he is speaking. And being able to then take that reality and live it out. And so our discipleship path is not one that's corporate. It's one that's individual. 
However, again, the conviction is, and this is what we trust, this is the risk that we're taking. We're believing that even though each of us are uniquely going to have different uh, discipleship paths, that Jesus, because we're all focused on him, and because we're all in this one church, he is going to unite us together, and so that we are, have a common mission, a common experience, a common uh, direction that he is leading us as a church. Not because the elders have come down and said, this is the direction, but because God and his Holy Spirit has spoken to each of us individually that this is the direction. And so with this vision statement of enjoying Jesus, I thought, okay, you got the fourfold gospel, which is all about Jesus. Jesus, our sanctifier, our savior, sanctifier, healer, and coming king. And then we've got this vision statement that's all about Jesus. Oh my gosh, we could be enjoying all of those aspects of Jesus. Yes, this is great. And then I said, Advent. What do we do with Advent? Here we go. We have four, well, actually we have five Advent themes, the four Sundays previous to Christmas, and then on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning, the final Advent, which is uh, usually the candle or the focus of Christ or love or light is kind of that final piece. We're not going to get there because that's Pastor Bob's job this year. Hi, Bob, back there in the corner. He's doing a Christmas Eve service. I'm not, so he'll be uh, bringing that one home. But before we get there, there's four other themes, and they start in there. The four themes are hope, faith, peace, and joy. And so usually joy is the third uh, Advent Sunday, but I've kind of pushed that one back to the fourth. We'll make a little bit of a change in our order. But I also realized as I was doing this, and this is, I think, the brilliance of Holy Spirit and his movement, that these themes fit right along with the fourfold gospel and are enjoying them. And so to give a summary statement for each of these four messages, first, this week, hope, enjoying Jesus through hope in him as our coming king. And then next week, enjoying Jesus through faith in his healing touch. And then the third week, enjoying Jesus through the peace of his sanctifying work. And then finally on a Sunday before Christmas, enjoying Jesus through the joy of our salvation. So, this is going to be the series. This is just the intro. You feel like, oh man, we got a, we got a message done already. Let's go home, right? No, not yet. I got more. All right. <laughs> so, with that long introduction, here is a short message to go with it. All right. Advent of hope. This is the first Sunday. We, we start Advent with hope. We, we always start Advent with this remembering of the promises of God. Uh, Lydia read Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who are in darkness. This is the starting point for the Advent season. The sense of, ah, there's, there's chaos. The, the world is lost. Where is God? What is happening? How are we going to survive this? Oh, but wait, verse 6, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. You see, the, the, the Jewish people in this period of time where they're waiting for the, the, the Messiah, the King to come, the King of kings, the Lord of lords to show up. They, they're waiting for this, this, this sense of anticipation of what's coming, but also uh, the tendency maybe to fall into despair. And then the prophets come in and say, no, 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 don't give up hope. 
He's coming. Don't give up hope. He's coming. God proclaiming again and again through his prophets that his people are not forgotten, that the Messiah is coming. Now, we read these passages at Christmas, at Advent, and we just assume the role of the Israelites, of the Jew, and thinking about the anticipation of the Messiah coming. And that's oftentimes all that we embrace. However, I find that 2,000 years later, aren't we in the same position now? That they were before Christ arrived. Are we not in the same kind of tension of going, wait a second, is Jesus coming? What's going on? Especially in 2020, as we've seen the world in some sense just collapse. All of the chaos that's going on and the tension and the disruption of our lives, everything is different. There there's no, seems to be no foundation. Where is this all going to end? How is it all going to finish? What's, how, what, how is it going to play out? Right? What's going to happen tomorrow? And so there's a sense that we as Christians are once again in this spot of despair, kind of wrestling with it. And what do we do? And then we say, Jesus, where are you? Are you coming back? And once again, we hear from the Lord over and over again in the New Testament, I'm coming. We see certainly in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 that the, the fulfillment of this prophecy that Jesus, the one who is coming, is King of kings and Lord of lords, we recognize that that has not fully been experienced and realized yet. You remember Jesus came, yes, as a baby. They, they exalted him. Remember the triumphal entry. They're like, yes, here he is, king of kings, lord of lords. We're worshiping. Here it comes. God's kingdom's here. No, not quite yet. And so we are still longing and looking forward to this reality that Jesus is going to come and he is going to rule. In truth, he is even ruling right now. We see this encouragement in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, where, God, where Jesus is given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow on heaven and on earth and proclaim that he is Lord. This is our hope. As Christians, we grab on to Philippians 2, 10 and 11 and say, yes, Lord, may it be so. May you come. May every knee bow. But more than that, we see in John chapter 14, and we'll go ahead and turn here and read this one. John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, familiar verses for all of us as Christians. Let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If we're not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Ah, oh, what great promises. First, that he prepares a place for us. And Revelation 21 tells us that it's a perfect place. It's, it's not a place like here. It's a place without death 
without sin, without tears, without pain and suffering. It's a perfect place. What a great reality and truth. What a great hope that we have, that we have a place that Jesus is preparing for us. But more than that, that we will not be alone. Not only is he preparing a place, it's not some place he's going to send us. It's some place we're going to come to where he is. We will be with him. Imagine the beauty. Imagine the comfort. Imagine the glory of standing literally in the presence of Jesus. So what is our hope for Christians today, 2,000 years after Christ's birth, life, death, resurrection? Our hope is that Jesus is ruling over all. That he is sovereign in the midst of all the chaos. That he is good and working and active in it all. Our hope also lies in the fact that we have a place in eternity. That this isn't the end. That this isn't all there is. There is a great place for us. A beautiful place. A perfect place. Perfectly designed. Perfectly created just for us. And again, that we will be with our Savior. We will finally see him face to face. This this is our hope. And it's not a faint or distant or wishful hope. This is not just some kid's wish for a Christmas gift. This is not some wish, you know, like, oh, it'd be great if I could do this someday or go somewhere someday. No, this is not some faint or distant or undisconnected wish. This is a sure hope of what is to come. And matter of fact, I mean, you could, you could understand to some extent if the Jews before the Messiah came, before Jesus arrived, had some significant doubts maybe just daring to hope because everything around them says there's no way anything is going to happen. There's no hope. There's no way to get through this. But somehow just clinging to some of those prophets and some of the prophecies saying, oh, may it please be true. But we as Christians 2,000 years later have the amazing benefit, the powerful reality that he has already proven himself to be true once. The prophecies about the Messiah coming as a baby in a town of Bethlehem were true. It happened. They came into reality. They weren't just empty promises. They were truths that were revealed before time. And we still today, because of that reality, we see that Jesus has already come through once. We can know without a shadow of a doubt that sure that our hope is true, that he is going to return for us that he is going to bring us home, that he has prepared a place for us, a perfect place designed just for us, and we will be with him for all eternity. Amen? Amen. This is not just something that we're kind of 
trying to bank on or bet on. This is something that is a sure deal. Jesus has promised, and he will come through. And so how do we enjoy this sure hope in the midst of the chaos of this world? In the midst of struggle and trial and loss, of frustration, of unknowns, How do we enjoy this hope when all we see around us is disaster and despair and destruction and tension and anger and frustration? How do we deal? How do we enjoy this hope? Through thanksgiving and praise. To be thankful in all circumstances is what Scripture teaches us. And it's that thanksgiving that gets our eyes in the right spot. To be thankful in the midst of pain. This is what James is talking about. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of all kinds. How can we find joy in that? Because this is not the end. Because God is working in us. He uses these things to redeem, redeems them and uses them to mature us, to develop us. He uses it to get our eyes off this world. If nothing else, this last year, Christians around the world have had their reliance on worldly things stripped from them and for their own good. What a blessing that God has allowed, if you will, this pandemic to sweep, sweep our nation and our world so that we as Christians could have the opportunity to once again get our minds and our eyes in the right spot. This is the joy that we find in the midst of trials. It comes through thanksgiving, recognizing that God is at work in it all, that God is a good God, that he is doing things in our life, that he's changing us He's helping us. He's working in us. He's working in those around us. Thanksgiving is the key to developing an eternal optimism that even if this life leads to pain and suffering and death, that there's always eternity. There's always something coming. Better grander, I mean beyond comprehension good from what we have here. It is this thanksgiving and eternal optimism that puts today's trials in proper context. When we recognize that these are just light and momentary trials, as 2 Corinthians 5 or 4, 17 says, when we recognize that this is just a, a twinkling of an eye, this is just a moment in time, this is just, uh, just a, a, a whiff of the a breeze, right? That it's not for all of, a time, of, all of time. Eternity is forever, but our lives are so just a little blip. And so if it's struggle, if it's suffering, if it's challenging, if there's trial, it's okay because we have all of eternity to enjoy Jesus forever. And thanksgiving helps us to keep these trials in context. It allows us to enjoy, actually, the realities of eternity right now. When we go, 
oh, yeah, this is really a bad situation. But Jesus, Jesus is in it. Jesus is with us. But Jesus is preparing a place for us. Another way to enjoy our sure hope is after Thanksgiving, (laughs) passing it on. There's nothing that I think lights my heart about the hope of Jesus than to even as I am right now, standing for a group of people, proclaiming his truths and his hope. Knowing that your hope is not in me. It's not even about the words that I'm saying, but it's about who the words I'm saying are about. (laughs) To be able to pass on this hope that we have despite the chaos, despite the trials, despite the circumstances we're in, to be able to pass that hope on to others is something that is just ignited when we are practicing thanksgiving. 1 Peter 3.15 even tells us that, you know, in part of our evangelism, to be prepared to share the reasons for the hope that you have within. It is that hope that we are proclaiming to the world. This is what the world needs. This last year, I've been preaching about Jesus all year long, and we've been preaching about how we need to have this uh, focus of loving our neighbor You know, that we would be able to proclaim this hope to our neighbor. This is what it's about. When the world begins to fall apart, when everything begins to get in conflict, when there is challenge and struggle, that is the moment when people are listening. Where can I find hope? Does anyone have the answer out there? And we as Christians have the only one true, sure hope in all of the world. May we not allow the struggles and the chaos that we're currently in to to tamp down our own hope to the point that we are unwilling to share that with those who really are without hope. All right. Worship team wants to come up. Just a couple of more thoughts here. In closing, see, I told you it would be a short little message after that long introduction. But a good message, amen? Amen. May we be a church that is great at giving thanksgiving, individually and corporately. That when when life gets hardest, that we would automatically fall into thanksgiving once again, looking to identify what God is doing in the midst of that struggle, to identify the goodness and the blessing that we have, to recognize where he is at work, knowing and trusting that he's always at work. And as we build that eternal optimism, may we also Keep our eyes open for those in our world right now who are without hope. That we would see with Jesus' eyes those 
who are in despair or depressed and don't know Jesus. Church, ask yourself these questions. First of all, a self-reflection question. What area of your life have you found it difficult to find hope? Where are you struggling to see hope right now? Because the truth is, even as Christians, we struggle sometimes. Sometimes it just gets too much, it seems like. So where are you struggling to remain hope-filled? But then, of course, then add the next question. How can you become more thankful? What can you be thankful for in the midst of it? Spend some time praying and saying, Jesus, just show me what you're doing. Show me reasons to be thankful in the midst of this. I need to see you again. And then finally, who do you know who needs to hear the reason that you have hope? Who do you know? I, I believe that names pop into our minds when we get asked those kind of questions. Whoever that name was, trust that that's Jesus saying, hey, this is the one. They need to hear the reason that you have hope. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this sure hope. Lord, we thank you that this is not all there is. And Lord, honestly, I, I think, you know, for me and maybe for others, you know, a year ago, we were maybe not as thankful about that. Lord, we were pretty happy with the life that we were living here and the blessings that we were enjoying, maybe the ease of life and But Lord, it seems that all of us may be in a little bit different spot today. As many of the things that we relied on and trusted in, many of the things that we were pretty comfortable with and got used to have been taken from us. We find life to be much more difficult each day. I'm reminded of the Israelites in the desert. As difficult as their slavery was, at least they had food every day and they had a routine every day. They knew what was going to happen every day. They kind of got up and it was the same thing. And then they got into the desert and every day was different. They never knew when the cloud was going to lift and was going to mean they had to pack up and start moving. But Lord, just like the Israelites, Lord, we have an opportunity in the midst of this world to become more reliant on you, which is good, which is what you want. You want us to trust you. You want us to be dependent on you. You want us to, be, to have to wake up every day to, to, to turn to you and say, I can't make it through unless you show up. But there's no way I'll be able to respond to all the changes that are going to happen today unless you are with me. 
So Lord, thank you. Thank you for being a good God and for giving us something to hope in for today, certainly, the fact that you are with us, but more so that this will end. That Jesus has prepared a perfect place for us. And that place is in your presence for all eternity. Revelations chapter 21, verses 1 to 7, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Merry Christmas.